So we're going to do uh, something a little bit differently this morning, a little different approach. Um, if you notice on your handout, on the back of it is a selection of Scripture, and that's what we're going to be going through this morning. So while you're turning there, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach and kind of a one-off here this morning to talk about looking back and looking ahead and, you know, um, taking this as a time of assessment and leaning into the new year uh, with hope and faith. While you're adjusting yourself there, um, something to look forward to is we're going to be going through the book of Leviticus starting next week, Lord willing. So I know, look forward to and Leviticus, not something that you often hear in the same phrase. And you might be thinking, well, I think maybe I should read Leviticus, and, uh, and I'm thinking the same thing myself. If I'm going to preach on it, I should probably uh, read it myself. But we're going to kind of go a big overview. It should only be about eight weeks in Leviticus to kind of break it down in parts. This will help you, you know, every year uh, you tell yourself, I am going to read through the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Le- right? And then you get stuck, right? And so hopefully this will... Um, help pull you through uh, that. But oddly enough, if, you, if, if you've not taken a run at Leviticus before, there's a place in the middle of Leviticus that is the centerpiece of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And one of the things that, it's, one aspect of it that's really cool is we can look and see what they did in their context, so different than ours, that it'll be interesting. We can also look and see what Leviticus points to and realize that God has been in control and been gracious all along. So I encourage you to read Leviticus, and, uh, but I, I expect us to get a lot out of it. So, All right, turning to the selected scripture for this morning. Follow along with me as I read it. Acts twenty twenty four. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Acts 20.28-30 Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, says Paul, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Proverbs 29.25 The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Psalm 56.11, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, what can man do to me? Mark 8.35-37, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Deuteronomy 6.5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. 
I will set you over much, enter into the joy of your master. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, help us to honor your word this morning. And I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. I ask that, uh, Spirit, that you move in and amongst us, that we'll be drawn to Jesus and serve him more faithfully, to be uh, good representatives, to reflect the light of the world to the world. Do that for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so where are we going uh, this morning? I don't know about you, but I am a pro-resolution person. You know, it's the first of the year, and some people are really big into that. You know, do you make a resolution? Brad alluded to it yesterday. Everybody's big one every year is you go through kind of the, the gauntlet of Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you decide, I need to lose some weight, or I need to stop that bad habit, or whatever the case is for you. I, I tend to be a pro-resolution person. Like I, I think that's a good idea to do. I have biblical reasons for that. It's not just sentiment. You know, some people are like that. Some people just need that kind of thing to order their lives and their brains a little bit. But I think it's not just sentiment. It's um, from a biblical perspective, you could look at it as uh, from the angle of a stewardship. I'm not saying that you have to be a resolutions this time of year person. There are other ways to go at it. Uh, it's just common. It's a good thing to use. So, for a little bit of a biblical backing, you remember the parable of the talents. They are stewards who take what the Lord has given them, and then they know they're going to answer their master with what they've done with that. And all of our lives are lived, whether we acknowledge it or not, but we should acknowledge it by faith, quorum day, before the face of God. Everything that you do is before the eyes of the Lord. And so he's given you this life, and the rationale for doing something like this is that we, we go through the, the steady state aspect of our day, right? And, our, and it goes day after day after day and that sort of thing. And what you can find is that you can go through a slow drift. That makes sense. You know what I mean? You sort of wake up and you're in a different place than you were six months before. Your, your habits are a little bit different or your commitments or your affections or whatever the case may be is different than what it was before. We're all going to tend to do that. So what do you do about it? Well, the, one of the best things that you can do is be intentional. Assess yourself, assess your life for um, uh, something of decisional change. There are things that are incidental changes in your life and circumstantial changes in your life. But biblically, there are times in your life that you should, as, as far as your stewardship before the Lord goes, uh, look at decisional change. In other words, an example of this in the Bible is repentance. Right? You, you become aware of sin in your life, you see it, you acknowledge it for what it is, and you, you are intentional about it, that you see it for what it is, and you're going to turn away from that to honor the Lord with your life, with what he's given you. Right? Uh, another one, you'd see this more in the Old Testament, a couple of occasions in the New, a vow to the Lord is something about decisional change as opposed to, like I said, circumstantial change or incidental change. But I'm a pro-resolution guy. I tend to think that we, uh, we grow in the areas that we're intentional about, that we accomplish the things that we set our minds to and that we're intentional about. There is a caveat. As, as big as I am about 
being pro-resolution, whether you want to lose weight, or you want to spend uh, more time in the Word, or you want to stop using those words that you've been using, whatever yours is. And, you know, some of you, I know you have the jar, like the punishment jar for your language, and I think you're going to have to increase the penalty, okay? Because I've heard you before, so you're probably going to have to increase that. Or, or give to the church, right? <laughs> As good as all of those things are, and like I said, you can be intentional about it, and that's where you see growth most of the time. There is a caveat, and it's a big one. And here it is. You're not in charge of everything. So that all of those factors that grow into your growth and your accomplishments and that sort of thing, you're not in charge of those. I'll give you an example of that. Let's just say you're living your life and everything's kind of normal. Uh, you're working your job. You're loving your family. Um, you're, you're exercising regularly. You're in the Word regularly. And then out of the blue, you have a stroke. And you end up in the hospital and you're out of commission for a month or so. It's not in your plans, right? You, it can happen. might not happen. It's okay either way. Generally speaking, you're not in charge of all that. The point is, is that you're going to have challenges and you're going to have setbacks and you're going to have things that happen in your life that you would orchestrate it differently if it were all up to you. But it's not all up to you. And so what do you do when you're not in charge of all the factors and while you look at it and you say, man, if all things being equal... I, I'm going to plan to do these things, and I hope you do that on your own time. I hope that on your own time, you assess your life, you look back, you look ahead, and say, I, I think with the life that God has given me, I want to do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is for you. I want to read more, you know, I want to lose weight, whatever it is for you, all those good things. But what do you do if all of that is taken away, like you, you, you lose your ability to do that? Who are you then? You're going to have setbacks because it's not all up to you except for one thing. And so I want you to think, if you could only do one thing this year, what should it be? I mean, all the other stuff was taken away. Let's say you didn't have the ability to do whatever you, today, you think it's fine. I'm, I'm going to be able to do that. It's not bad to make the plan, but for some reason, something comes in um, and you're no longer able to do that. And it changes all of your plans. If you could only, you take all that stuff away, everything else is stripped away, who are you then and what are you about then? And I'll just say, you know, to, to not bury the lead, be faithful. Because everything else can be taken away from you, but not that. And if you have that, you haven't, you haven't lost. So that's the thing for the believer. If you, the one thing that you have to have if you don't have anything else. So, so look at Paul's mindset, and it's the, the first uh, Scripture passage there uh, in, the, in the handout is Acts 20, 24. And there's this little phrase I want you to pay attention to. It's, if only. If only I may do this. I want us to look at his mindset so that we can lay this out properly. If only I could do this. Now, he says this little phrase there, and what was fascinating to me as I looked at it is just how human that phrase is. A lot of times we read the New Testament and we think, I mean, uh, you know, 
not appropriately, we think, oh, there must be some kind of like Shekinah glory around these guys and the angels are singing in the background like they don't need a cd or you know uh apple music or whatever playing in the background because the angels are like humming along while they're writing the letters to scripture a lot of times they're in they're in jail right whenever they write these or they're they're going through a great amount of adversity well in acts we see this little transition and everything is about to change for paul um, you know, if you know the story of Paul's life, he was Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church, and the Lord Jesus got him, knocked him on his keister, and introduced himself to Paul, and Paul belonged to Jesus after that. And Paul's ministry was to go around planting churches, right, sharing the gospel and planting churches in this area, and it had been really, really effective. But by the time you get to Acts 20, there's a huge transition in Paul's life. Because he knows he needs to go to Jerusalem and he knows there's danger there. So what's ahead? By the time you get to Acts 20, what's ahead for Paul ultimately is to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome and then to heaven. That's what awaits him, right? He's going to die. And it's going to be a hard road to get there. And so Acts 20 is a meeting with the elders of a particular city, the Ephesian elders. And he tells them this. And what he tells them in, in part of this uh, because, because he knows it's trouble. He, he says that what the Holy Spirit has let him know is that everywhere he goes, it's going to be adversity. And he's not bothered by that, and he says this. If only I may do this. Now, we're just done with Christmas, and if you're, uh, if, if you're a kid who looks forward to Christmas, you know, somewhere around December 17th, 20th, or whatever, you think to yourself, if only I could get this, my life is going to be transformed, right? So I remember my, my mom used to, uh, we lived in a place where there weren't a lot of shops and stores. Like you probably weren't going to buy Christmas presents, uh, you know, for your kids in the towns we lived in. You had to go somewhere to get them or you had to order them. And so my mom would show me, like, okay, here's the Sears catalog, or here's the Robux, or, or the JCPenney catalog, and here's the toy section. And let's go through it together and circle the things that you, you know, like, you want. And so I was like, oh, this is awesome, right? You know, it's like, it's like well, wait a minute. How does, does, like, Santa Claus get this? But I'll leave that to you to re resolve in your own family. But anyway, we, we were, I would look through there, and I'd circle the toys or the items that I wanted that I thought would be great. And then, you know, I'd go through and I would realize I didn't circle five things, I circled 35 things. It's like, I gotta be realistic. I was not that good this year, you know, not, not even close. I was, I was probably maybe one toy good, two toys at the best, but I was not 35 toys good this year. And so then I started putting a star by them. Well, oddly enough, I don't remember anything but one year there were these cool-looking shoes that I, I wanted. They were, they were solid blue, like a midnight blue, with these, uh, these bright colors on the side and these grips underneath with a rubber toe, toe that came over the top. And they were the coolest things I had ever seen. And I just knew if I had those... I would be like the fastest kid in school, the coolest kid in school, the most athletic kid in school, maybe even the smartest kid in school and all of that. And lo and behold, and I'm, I'm, my mom's kind of, she's telling me like, I don't think so because I think they were adult shoes. 
And so finally, Christmas Day comes, and I got those. I got those. They were like four sizes too big, but I got them, and um, I loved them. But you know what I realized? I was still the same guy in a different pair of shoes. You know what I mean? I, I turned out I was still just like me, just in shoes that were too big for me and that looked a little bit like clown shoes, you know, because they were too long and the toes tended to come up and that sort of thing. But that was my if only. Funny thing is, we relate to that as kids. Oh, if I could only do this, if I could only go there or whatnot. It's a very human question. We tend to do that. We tend to set our minds on things that we'd go, well, if, if only I had this, or if only this was going right, we're going right, or if only I could accomplish this, then everything would change for me. What is, Paul had one. What is your if only? You got one right now? Like if you just, in your mind, you think, if I were going to order my universe differently, I would do it this way. I would want, and for most of us, if we're honest, we would change our circumstances and not our hearts. What Paul says here, look at Acts 20, 24 with me. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. He knows he's going to die. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What's, what's, what is Paul's if only I may? Like, listen, I know the Lord Jesus, and that's changed everything for me. And so the Lord Jesus has given me this life to live. He's given me an assignment. And if only I could finish what Jesus has given me to do. So what's the one thing that you want, Paul? This is his mindset, okay? As he, as he leans into this big transition, we're transitioning from 21 to 22. And all I want is for that foundational thing, your if only, to be really clear, like it was for Paul. So Paul is transitioning from this kind of steady state ministry that was really difficult, but he's transitioning from that to Jerusalem, to Rome, to death. And his if only is to say, if only I can honor Jesus with the life he's given me. I've got this much time left. So what do I want to do with this much time? Um, that's his mindset. And that mindset is essential because we all walk around with these vulnerabilities. So I want to give you a couple of ways. They're really two sides of the same coin to detect your vulnerabilities, but we all have them. Nobody gets to heaven without walking with a limp. You know what I mean? You're, you're just naturally, you're going to have setbacks and you're going to have things that wound you and hurt you. They're going to have, you're not going to be self-sufficient in and of yourself. So, uh, vulnerability. So, let me point out, you, you can see this in Acts 20, 28 through 30. Paul is telling the same Ephesian elders when he lets them know, all I want to do is honor Jesus with my life. The Lord Jesus has me. He has given me this life. He's given me this calling. And I just want to fulfill that as a steward before the Lord Jesus. That's all I want. But part of that same talk, he lets them know this group of elders. And so think about the leaders of the church there. Guys who are like me, right? Guys who have a position, they open God's word, they speak for the Lord Jesus. You know, they're supposed to be exemplary in terms of the Christian life, in, in terms of their faith. And this is what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. As part of what you're supposed to watch out for as a leader is your own heart, your own mindset. 
And then he says, you know, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of the, the church of God to care for it. He's obtained it with his own blood. This is a serious thing. And then Paul talks about his leaving in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things in order to call the disciples after them. One of the things he says to these leaders of this church that they need to pay attention to the most and to watch out for the most is themselves. The vast majority of people in this room, your greatest challenge is not outside of you, but inside of you. The vast majority of people in this room, myself included, if you could get over one person and um, be the most fulfilled, the, the most successful, the most wise, etc., it would be yourself. That's most of us. And Paul tells them exactly the same thing. You're never exactly who you think you are. You know, it's funny, I remember Mike Tyson, right? Is a, there were great heavyweight champions uh, before him, and, you know, there are always these debates about who's the greatest of all time and that sort of thing. But in his era, he was clearly the greatest heavyweight fighter. And as matches would get made, you know, like who's going to fight, be the next guy to fight Mike Tyson, you know, they, they would always like, does this guy have a chance? Does this guy have a chance? And so on. And I remember watching a guy who was a uh, kind of what they call it, um, not the, the, the light heavyweight or the middle heavyweight, you know, the right below the heavyweight uh, class. And this guy was amazing uh, in, in that class lower. And what, and what they did was they basically said, you know, gain a little weight and we'll pay you a lot of money to get the tar beat out of you by Mike Tyson, right? And so that's what they did. And, but, the, but the question was, I mean, this is a guy who's really skilled. And I remember we didn't have pay-per-view, but um, cable was so bad back then that if you got it to the right channel, you could see it through the snow, right? And I remember watching this guy. I'm not going to say his name because he's probably still embarrassed about the performance that he put in. But he lasted, I want to say, 37 seconds. I think the wind from Mike Tyson's punch, you know, knocked him down in fear. Um, but he didn't last the first round. It was that quick, you know, all of that stuff. And I was watching it through the static of, you know, the pay-per-view. And one of the things that Mike Tyson was famous for saying was everybody's tough until they get hit in the mouth. You're never exactly who you think you are. You know, you... You're going to tend to evaluate yourself differently, and then life is going to hurt your feelings sometimes. And it's going to come in, and it's going to bring some pressure, and it's going to, there are going to be tests and trials that are going to show you more and better who you really are. And that's a gift, okay? Because the version of you that's like almost perfect, that's a lie. And one of the best things that can happen to you is for some of those things to come in and really just show you a mirror of exactly who you are. That's a real gift. So, one, whenever you know you're weak, you tend to respond like a weak person and seek grace. Um, so, detecting your own vulnerability. How do you do that? Let me give you two sides of the same coin to do that. One side of that coin is disordered loves. Where's the vulnerability? Disordered loves. Now, it's disordered in this sense. It's out of place. Like, there are lots of things in your life, um, I mean, a lot, that it's good to love them, have affection, see them as good. Um, 
but the problem is, is that they can become disordered. They can become out of place. So anything that you put in the place of God is obviously out of order. It's obviously a bad thing, right? It's not necessarily wrong to love it. It's wrong to love it at that level. You know, Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with your all. And that's, how, that's to inform our infection. So, so if you think about love as something like this, what are you committed to? What are, where are your affections? And we all have affections. Disordered love is taking where those affections might even be appropriate and putting them in the wrong place. They're out of whack. So some examples of this. So it's good to love people. It's good, right? But you can have a relationship that is out of whack. It's either your love is disordered. You either put it too high or too low. Like if, if, if you're a parent and you say, well, I love my son and I also love these boots, um, but the boots are less trouble to me, so I probably love my boots a little more than my son. Disordered love, right? Okay, you know, silly example there. Uh, money. M- money's not a bad thing, but if you rank it too high, it becomes your God, right? That's a disordered love. Um, food. It's not bad to like food. It's not bad to enjoy food. But if food becomes your everything, if your health becomes your everything, if sex becomes your everything, if your reputation becomes your everything, if your career becomes your everything, right? Disordered love, you're, you're putting it ultimately in the place of God. So there's, there are ways that it's disordered in that it's too high. And there are other things. A big red flag is whenever you rank some things too low as well. So, for example, 1 Peter 3, Peter talks to husbands, and he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Right? You're supposed to see them in the way that the Lord Jesus sees them. Live with your wife in an understanding way. He ends that little verse by saying, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's really interesting that uh, it's a big red flag. By the way, if you don't get your loves right, in that sense, what God says to husbands there I'm going to interrupt my relationship with you until you get this relationship right. That's not going to be effective. Live with her in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. Um, Another one, 1 John. If you read through 1 John, the idea that we all want to keep sometimes is like, I want to love God and care less about people. And what 1 John tells you is that's absolutely impossible. That's a disordered love. The idea that my, I ought to love my spouse this way, but I rank him or her too low, or I, I, love my, I ought to love my brothers and sisters in the church uh, this way, but I rank them too low. Disordered love. Most of the time, though, if you look at it, you're really going to assess yourself. It's usually a thing that gives you meaning or significance, Right? So where those duties go too low, it's usually because you put something else in their place. For example, your career becomes everything. Your health becomes everything and so on. Disordered love. Right? The other side of that coin, if you're going to detect vulnerabilities in yourself, is disordered fears. Again, they're disordered because they're out of place. Um, it, it, it might be something. It's not necessarily wrong to fear it you know, in terms of the technical way that we might express that, but it's messed up because it's either too high or too low. For example, if you put something in the place of God, you fear it like you ought to fear God, it's too much. So if you think about if, if love, we look at it as affection for and commitment to, fear we might look at as respect for and a submission to. 
and we, we care about its judgments, right? We submit ourselves to its judgments, whatever it is. So here's a good example of a place where there's, there ought to be a fear, per se, but it can be ranked too high. It's government. You see this in Scripture a lot, where we ought to you know, fear, respect the government, but we shouldn't fear it too much. The apostles, for example, say, do we fear God or do we fear man? Right? Do we, where do we go with that? So there ought to be a fear, but it ought to be ordered appropriately. Um, let me give you two examples where this really gets out of whack for people in terms of disordered fears. One is fear of man. And it's very common. A lot of people struggle with it. It's probably over 50% of the, the people in the room, over half the people, really, really struggle with what other people think of them. Um, Proverbs 29.25 says, this is God's word, do you believe God's word? The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. If, if you submit yourself, if your guiding star is what other people think of you, it's just, you're just setting a trap for yourself. You, uh, so, like I tend to like to get along. I tend to be that sort of person. I mean, I'm, I'm lippy, but... You know, grew up a little brother, classically trained to hurt people's feelings, all that stuff. I'm lippy, um, but I tend to, like, by nature, I'm a pretty ironic spirit. Like, I'd rather get along than not get along. But if you do my job, and there's lots of jobs like this, not unique to my job. But if you do my job and you base who you are on what other people think of you, you go nuts. Right? Because, I mean, by nature of what I do, there, there are some people who go like, well, there's Jesus, and then there's Pastor Stacy. And I just want you to know that's, that's not true. And then there are other people who are like, well, you know, there's Satan, and, right? And that, that part's not true either. I'm just like, I'm a dude saved by grace all because of what Jesus, I'm a fellow sinner who needs the work of Jesus in my life for me to have any standing before God, Right? just part of this church there's really one leader of it but if you worry constantly about what other people think you define yourself not by who God says you are and that's accurate you define yourself by what everybody else's opinion is and guess what those opinions are going to be competing I am neither one of those things uh, you're probably not what everybody else's opinion is of you either. Psalm 56.11 says, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid what can man do to me. So that's one. Another place of disordered fear is self-preservation. Jesus goes on the record and he says, it's really, this is valuing your security in life above everything else. The, the only way that you look at it is really different than the way Paul uh, looks at his life where he says, I don't account uh, any value to my life mainly because he's got something else squared away that secures it. And if you don't have that, what you tend to do is you look at everything else and you go, if I know anything else, I have to take care of me, and then I'll work out from there. But i got to make sure that I'm okay. Um, so Jesus says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? And right before that, right before that, he says this, Whoever would save his life, that instinct for self-preservation above all else, is going to lose it. Like if you give all of your resources to making sure you're okay, if that's the value that you have, you won't make it. The gospel is so counterintuitive 
He says it the other way, but, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So here's all I would say. If you look at assessing your vulnerabilities, look at disordered loves and disordered fears, which are two sides of the same coin, and ask yourself, where do I have a vulnerability? There's a guy, a story in Scripture. Um, he was a great church, uh, he was a great prospect for the church, right? He's the rich young ruler. And he encounters Jesus, he's religious, he's connected, I mean that in a, in a good sense of the word, right? He's, got, he's networked and all of that stuff, and he's, so he's got money, he's got influence, and he's a moral guy and everything. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus essentially says, you can't rely on anything you have, he walks away sad. Why? Disordered love. Has something in the way. Like, Jesus shoots him straight. If you're going to get in, you can't get in on your merit. If you're going to get in, you're going to have to get in on the basis of grace. And you're going to have to lay all that stuff down. It's just the same, it affects everybody the same way. You have a disordered love or a disordered fear. There's something that's out of proportion or out of place. All right. Briefly. Let's look at Paul's example. And then I hope if you reflect and you think about uh, the way you want to lean into 2022, I hope this will inform. But here's the big transition. The big transition that Paul goes uh, from Acts 2024, I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, right? I just want to take what Jesus gave me and be a steward and to live it out faithfully. That's all I want to do. How did that go? 2 Timothy 4.7. He's right at the end of his life. He's about to die. This is the last letter Paul writes. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. So here's a guy who's doing exactly what I'm suggesting that we ought to do as we lean into our transition. Start with faithfulness, okay? Four lessons from Paul's example, and we'll be brief. Number one, be clear on the one thing, be clear on the one thing that clarifies and positions all other things. So you look at Paul's example, right? He's like, if only I may do this, and then we see in 2 Timothy 7, this is what I've done. By the grace of God, this is what I've done. And so where does that come from? What is that one thing? Paul is saved and he's a steward. Paul's identity, he's, he's come into his identity, he's come into his belonging because he's gone from somebody outside the kingdom of God to inside the kingdom of God on the basis of who Jesus is, his power to save. And the effect that has on disordered loves or fears is it orders them. So common example it is right as a parent to love your child. But if that love for your child is elevated to the place of God, you're going to tend to break your child because they're not built to bear that weight. But they can't do that. They actually just need to be who they are, who they were created to be. Um, disordered love. What that one thing does is it orders all those other loves. What it does, like fear of man, for example. If you get the one thing right, uh, it might hurt you when people say bad things about you or they have a bad opinion about you, but you order it, right? It's not out of proportion. 
Um, so your, your sense of self-preservation gets ordered in that sense. Be clear on the one thing that clarifies and positions all, all other things. Are you clear on that? Are you clear on where you belong and whose you are? You know, say to our, our kids, uh, whenever they uh, would go out of the house, go do something, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Second thing, view this life in light of eternity. Uh, the common mistake here is we tend to view this life as eternity. You know, YOLO, right? You only live once. Um, hold my beer type of uh, wisdom. Uh, what, what the mistake here is we tend to make the lesser things the ultimate things because they're the things we can see. Everybody you know, everybody who's lived in the history of the world, whatever they had, they lost it. Everybody, the greats. Um, Paul starts off in that, that little verse where he says, I don't regard my life here as having an outsized value. That's not the only thing. That's not like the thing that I have to have. And what's his rationale? This life, you get a vapor-like, uh, somebody's alarm telling me, that's it, right? We're almost done. We're almost done. <laughs> I knew he couldn't make it, is what they were saying. So, but Paul's rationale is that this is a vapor-like life. And there's eternity. Lean into the weight of glory, believer. View your life now as significant, as important, but weigh that against eternity. This is a moment that's forever, right? So that the greater informs and places the lesser where it belongs. So view this life in light of eternity. Third lesson, start with being a steward who answers to one and then work out from there. Whose approval do you want? Be honest. Whose attaboy do you want? Uh, Paul, you know, Paul, if only I may fulfill what Jesus has given me to do. He puts his life uh, before the Lord and lets that define everything else. And where Jesus speaks into that is that we're a, we're a steward and we want to hear, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. Start with being a steward who answers to one. And, and then look to other people. And number four, faithfulness requires perseverance. I said it before, I'll say it again, life is going to hurt your feelings. If you're a big deal now, you're not always going to be a big deal. If you're strong now, strength in this life always goes to weakness. You're talented, you're going to lose it. Are you influential? You're going to lose it. You're not promised ease, but the opposite. If you're going to make it, it's going to be because you're going to endure hard things. And you're going to have to have some bounce back. You look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 or 5. It's a fight. It's a long race. It's this treasure I have to guard against the enemy. It's not like, and we shouldn't esteem Paul beyond what his abilities were. It wasn't like he knew everything. It's not like he didn't have some setbacks. There are times that Paul made plans that looked good on paper. And he was disappointed by his circumstances and had to hang in there. There were times he was afraid. He fought, he finished, he kept through it all, and everything else was taken from him. Remember when uh, we just did a study in Job, right? Job's going through all of this adversity, and he's challenged, like, are you still going to believe in God? And what Job says, I mean, because everything is stripped away from him. I mean, he's got everything, and he loses everything. And his little phrase, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. 
It doesn't matter what God takes away. It doesn't matter what I lose. He's still God. And in his wisdom, I'm still in his hands. My life is supposed to represent the good outcome of a crucible. So, so think of your life like this. Like you're a big chunk of something. Okay, redeemed, right? And you go into this crucible, and the heat of that is supposed to refine it so that the outcome of your life, this crucible, is supposed to lose the dross and leave the pure refined gold. That's going to happen. If you're going to make it, you're going to have to be tough. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to make it through times where you don't have all the answers. You're going to have to make it through times where you're not in the mood. You know, if you... Think about like basic habits. If you exercise a lot, you, you know this. If you exercise a lot, you know that the reason that you do that is because you've acquired a habit. It's not because you're always in the mood. It's because you tell yourself what to do when you're not in the mood. Okay? Well, on a, on a lower end, that's like exercise. In terms of the faith, you have to know who you are regardless of how you feel. Um, so that one thing is faithfulness. Whatever else you, you lose, you can do this. You can look at Jesus and you can say, my life is yours. Right? Everything I have, everything else can be taken away, but I'm in your hands and I just want to honor you. My whole life is bent to hear your well done. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order everything else in my life after that, whether it's losing weight or saving money or whatever. So how are you going to, I'm going to leave you with this question. How, how will you cultivate this faithfulness first mindset? By analogy, if your body is going to be strong, you're going to have to train it. If your mind is going to be strong, you're going to have to think through how to do that, and you're going to have to train it. If your spirit is going to be strong, you need to be a steward of it. How are you going to train it? What's the best thing for you to do in order to keep first things first and to strengthen your faith? You know, some kind of devotion, some kind of service, uh, time with the Lord, a mentor, what, a discipline, whatever it is. But, you know, we look back and we look ahead. And 2021 was a hard year for a lot of us. And 2022 might not be. But it might be the same. It might be worse. Make it a faithful one. Whether it's adversity or prosperity, whatever happens in 2022, whether you lose your, you know, your, your freshman 15, um, whether you lose that or not, make 2022 a faithful one. Let's pray. Father, we don't know what is ahead, um, except that we're in your hands and your, your promise is true, and that uh, the Lord Jesus is uh, a great Savior, undefeated. And so I pray for uh, the folks here at Lifeway, the, the folks tuning in, that we would be good at the temporal so I pray for success in that. If somebody needs better fitness and is part of their stewardship and part of the joy of the life that they have, in them, that they'd be good at that, that they'd be good with you know, money and relationships and all of those things um, that would bless them. So I ask for grace there. But while I pray that we would be good at the temporal, I ask for the grace to excel at the eternal. And help us to prioritize us, prioritize that, to see that, to start with that, and to work out from there. Also ask for grace in trials. That as the trials inevitably come, that you would hold us by your strength. We surely need it so that we'd be found faithful and that we would hear the Lord Jesus, well done.
It's in his name we pray. Amen.